From grain to glass, this show is dedicated to helping you make the best beer possible. So strap in and hold on to your mash tons. We're Homebrew Bound. Welcome to Homebrew Bound. I'm Casey. And I'm Katie. <laughs> and this is that the best a, beer show on the internet. That was a pause for, for Brian. He's uh, not here today. Yeah, uh, yeah no, he's... Uh, I think he's still chasing discs out in the wild yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, he had a big disc, um, disc tournament thing this weekend or something. Yeah, something like that. I mm-hmm. don't know. He was very excited yeah. about it, and then uh, it sounds like it got out of hand. So, <laughs> so <laughs> not surprising. It's a it was a hop hop event. Sometimes they'll get a little out of hand. I I don't understand why you guys are always just so in control of everything. So. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure this board out again. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. All right, there we go. All right, uh, before we get too deep here, I want to give a big shout-out uh, to the American Homebrewers Association. They do a lot to support homebrewing and homebrewers, and now they support us. During the AHA, we'll give you a discounts at homebrew shops like taprooms, as well as give you access to the fantastic Zamergy magazine. Click on the referral link of our homepage and join today. Actually, I just got this, uh, uh, it's a quarterly release, or, I think? Or, no, no, it's, uh, yeah, I want to say quarterly, or... Maybe it's bi-monthly. Hang on. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. I just got I just got the latest one, um, and it's super interesting. They released uh, the top twenty beers, uh, the AHA mm. like top twenty beers uh, this in this issue, and a lot of Midwest beers. What was number one? What do you think was number one? Well, it's usually Pliny the Elder. No. Uh, it was a little IPA uh-huh. out of Michigan. Was it Bell's Too Hearted? It sure yeah, was. Yeah, they've they've been top one or two the last yeah the like, last forever. like four yeah. or five years yeah, yeah. um yeah so that that was it like Bell's had two or three on the list mm-hmm. um pseudo Sue made it I had um, one of those yesterday and yeah, I had a little backyard uh, gathering yesterday yeah, and, and I, I had a pseudo Sue KBS was on it uh, okay. founders uh, Kentucky mm-hmm. Breakfast out mm-hmm. so how there. many how many of the top five weren't IPAs. Uh, top five. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, hang on. I could also just read this myself. Well, I mean, it's it's an interesting thing. Why don't we talk about it real quick? Um, sorry, guys. This is kind of very impromptu. Yeah. We're going to get there. Uh, so they, they put some clone uh, recipes in here that, that I thought were fun. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so... Just the, fumble through while I... Yeah, so the top five that, uh, I guess the top five are uh, Bell's Two-Hearted, Russian River Pliny the Elder, uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, uh, The Alchemist Hetty Topper, and Bell's Hop Slam, or Hype Slam as we call it. I see a a Boulevard Tank 7 farmhouse made it on the top, well, number tied at 7th. That's a good beer, especially the closer you get to Kansas City. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's definitely a difference in that beer for, from, um, and maybe it's just you know it's the these shelves in other markets are so saturated that they probably don't go through it as much. And when you're close to home and you're drinking a beer, you, um, you know that is close to home in yeah. Kansas City. It's I have some relatives that live down there, and it's just phenomenal. You know, it's uh, I don't know, it's an interesting thing, and they have uh, some clone recipes in there. Uh, the KBS clone looks really mm-hmm. interesting, uh, and this specific issue. Um, there is a Utopias clone recipe. 
Okay. Um, Sam Adams Utopias, for those mm-hmm. of you who don't know, is a 21% <laughs> yep. uh, beer. Uh, don't worry, it only takes five years to mature, so you're probably fine. Yeah. <laughs> well worth it, I'm sure. Right. Yeah, uh, Yeah. so uh, you can get that uh, with your uh, AHA subscription, and yeah, it's it's fantastic. I really enjoy it. I also want to give a big shout-out to our patrons, specifically our Black Belt patrons, Andy Thompson, Bjorn Bjornsson, Devin Stinson, and Tyler Romanski. If you'd like to become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash blindestudios and become a patron today. All right, Katie, what have you been up to beer-related? Uh, well, I was, you know, I got into this briefly a little bit off air, but, uh, you know, we're still trying to perfect that hazy IPA thing that that's going on at the brewery. You know, I mean, we had a few weeks ago, we had that, we had that, uh, podcast, I suppose it's a couple weeks ago at this point, uh, we, we talked about yeah. the troubleshooting where you yep. and I had the same issue on the same day, but it was, you know, homebrew versus commercial scale. Uh, so we've kind of taken the information from that beer that I brewed, which didn't end up being, um, the Hudson Haze, which I was brewing, we we ended up calling it Blame Shifter, and it's a session IPA. Um, and is that uh, out in the tap room now? Uh, I think we're gonna release that in the tap room this week. Okay. Yeah, we had some we had some Halloween um, releases that we wanted to do this week, so we're gonna, we were gonna hold off on that. But but that so that beer is ready. It's in you know it, you can be poured in a glass. And the first thing we noticed right off the bat was it it actually was a hazy beer. So it's like okay, what did we do differently about this beer? Um, to make it hazy and we we have narrowed it narrowed it down to a couple things um first putting those flaked adjuncts in the louder which created all the problems with the <clears throat> excuse me with the um low gravities in my in my opinion but so we you know we, we we brewed a batch this week like that except we fixed how we were adding them so we didn't have the sticking and all the things that happened and then the other thing we did with that that beer that ended up being one off was we dry hopped it for four days in a row instead of just doing two dry hop additions we spread them out over four days so we're going to look at those two different batches that we brewed this week or this past week and see if one of those two things have did you will make a difference did you dry hop earlier i guess uh so next week we're going to be talking about biotransformation mm-hmm. and that is kind of uh like yeah so digging deep in, deep into like the hop science and kind of what we've been doing with mm-hmm. the new ipa book um, we've been talking about doing more frequent, smaller dry hops instead of bigger dry yep. hops. And it sounds like that's kind of what, that's you guys what we're did. doing. And, yes. Yeah. Uh, are you guys pushing them earlier into the fermentation or about the same? We will, we'll keep them about the same. Um, I think our schedule is we do it as early as possible without, you know, having basically the fermenter exploding or hops so basically exploding like, like high, high croissant yeah. or like yeah. on the, on the back yeah. end of high croissant. And you know, I actually I was in there right before the show today, and I, I think we probably missed the high croissant a little bit with this beer. Um, looking at the top of the, you know, the, the liquid level of that, but we try to get it. Um, we try to dry hop day five at at the earliest, and if it's if if the fermenter is still super active, we'll just push wait it off a, day, a day. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, uh, it so doesn't we'll do, do any good to have all those hops just blown up. Yeah, so I think, and actually, I think today would have been day six. So we'll do six, seven, eight, six, seven, eight. And nine are going to be our, our dry hop additions for that beer. Oh, fun! Yeah, and then the the another the other batch that we just switched the louder, we'll do day six and ten, which is kind of our standard double dry hop schedule. Awesome! Yeah, we'll see. Keep we'll keep you posted. Right? No, I I'm I'm well. I need to go, and I need to. I'm really excited to try this like blame shifter. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'll see if we can get a growler or something. Yeah, down for, for the sure. Show I, and... Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll if I the next time I'm in, I will. If I pass through there, I'll I'll pick up a crawler and bring it over yeah 
Um, yeah, we've talked. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's one of the beers that we've talked about the most mm-hmm. the past couple of weeks. So, yeah, coincidentally, how about you? What's going on? Oh man, what have I been doing beer related? So yesterday was Halloween. Uh, so this is two weeks out from Halloween. You guys are listening to this. You know how we record. Um, let's see. I went to Rush River for uh, they had their last. Um, they do like uh, I want to say it's like a craft fair almost where they have like local people come in mm-hmm. and sell things and they had a taco truck and so we're like well mm-hmm. taco truck sounds Tacos. great uh and then so we did that uh had i mean rush river just does really solid beer um they haven't really changed up their lineup in a while but um i had some of their uber alt and it's super dry this year which okay. is kind of cool um and then oh yep uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, so did that, and then went over to the garage, uh, and, you know, sat around a fire and mm-hmm. hung out in a Wookiee costume all day. It was, oh, it was pretty good. Oh, you were warm. That was very warm, you yeah. warm. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, besides that, not a ton. Uh, helped a buddy move today, so, yeah. Anything going on at the garage for beers? Um, nothing new yet. Mm-hmm. They have a stout in, uh, the fermenter. Um, I keep talking with the brewer there. I'm trying to get him to come on mm-hmm. because he listens to our show every yeah. week. So, I you know, I'm yeah. calling you out, man. Like, come on down. Yeah. I've heard, <laughs> I mean, I, I have, I've been there, I've been there just maybe less than a handful of times. Um, I, the, where, where we, where we record and where I live are two very different places. So right. I have to kind of be in the area, but you know, every time I've been there, the, the, whether it's the beer they have on tap or their rotations that they do, cause they do a lot of guest guest beers. They're all, it's solid. It's a fun, yep. comfortable place to, to hang out. And I love bicycles. So they have this, all that bike gear there that you can kind of look at and, and you know, just, well, whatever. and like every, with every beer, you're more and more tempted to be like, I can totally afford a $2,100 bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, so that's, that's just kind of where I'm at there. Um, so, I mean, in the spirit of Halloween, oh, I, and I'm, yes. I'm so sorry about this, but yeah. we're going to do it. We're going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to say right now that, well, he's, uh, pouring, um, some jelly bellies, some draft yeah. beer jelly bellies. Yep. They're a gift from a friend. Uh, and he's like, oh, hey, I saw these and they're beer flavored. You like beer. I think we should just guess the style first. I, I, I think we I should. strongly dislike jelly beans. Oh, really? I'm telling you this okay. right now. Oops, I dropped one on the floor. Um, all right, so guessing style. Like, I'm guessing they're going for some sort of, like, American lager. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm not really getting a beer flavor. I kind of do. Mm, there it is. There it is. Yep. No, yeah. it tastes like foam. Yeah, it's very sweet. So, you know, mm. it tastes mm. like Budweiser foam. But it falls. <laughs> people are like, "Oh my god, it's chewing!" It needs I know, right? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. Like, <laughs> it's not the worst jelly bean I've ever. No, had it's not. Life. Uh, like, yeah. I mean. I would, so, I would like an IPA jelly bean. I'm not gonna lie. If you come across uh, draft beer jelly beans in the store and you need to find a fun gift, go for it. Yeah, they're not bad. Not bad at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah besides that, we're drinking more Oktoberfest yes, because yes. that's the only thing I have. Um, I did. Uh, I was planning on brewing this weekend, and then the weekend got away from me. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And I wasn't able to get a starter mm-hmm. going, so I was like, "Oh, this is a perfect excuse not to brew." Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. So I'll be brewing next week. I have a pale ale coming down the pipeline. So nice, should be fun. Pale ales are my favorite beer to drink. Ah, uh, they are mine too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna use some of our. our I'm doing mostly late hop additions with um, 
what uh what is the the lupulin powder oh uh, yeah um instead of just regular pellets mm-hmm. uh but we'll talk about more of that when i have the beer to taste yes because yes. that sounds more fun yep uh so we're gonna talk about our discussion today and it kind of ties in with the beer that we're drinking the oktoberfest it's on tap how actually do you set up a draft system there because are, i mean there are, well okay go well like i mean it seems like it should be super straightforward mm-hmm. you have taps you have keg make things cold and sure. then pour yeah but it turns out there's a lot more to it there is a lot more to it and there's also you know i remember th- thinking back to before i had a tap system it felt really pretty overwhelming mm-hmm. um I can't remember. You, you actually mentioned last week that you were like, you thought maybe Brian had been homebrewing longer than than any of us, and I discovered that it, actually that is not the truth. I, really? I, yeah, I've been homebrewing since two thousand three. Oh wow! Yeah, well, I haven't for a few years now, but you know that's when right. I started. So anyway, so you have Brian. Beat. I've been. That's, I've been. So you're the true expert. I, is what we're I saying. Don't, and I don't know when he set up his draft system versus me, but whatever. This is not a competition. But what I'm it's saying a competition. is, when I when I first started looking into draft systems i don't know how i can't remember how diy it it continued to be um whether it was like here you go there's your that's that there's all you need when you go to you know if you were to shop on it at a homebrewer shop or if you needed to kind of put the pieces together um but it felt very kind of pretty overwhelming you know yeah trying to figure out how how long should the lines be do we want a do i want to just go and find a kegerator that's already built do i want to you know build a, a freezer you know kind of situation yep. and put a collar around it and all the things so it definitely can be intimidating it's, yeah well and then like you get into does your tap matter does mm-hmm. your shank size matter like mm-hmm. all these things yeah. and it's super interesting so let's 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 start at the um the beginning mm-hmm. and that's how are you going to store and dispense your beer so like you're saying do you go with a pre-built kegerator mm-hmm. do you build something mm-hmm. of your own uh, do you have a preference on that end? I don't. I, I, I got the pre-built one, and then I was actually able to sort of borrow one another one from my brother because I ended up having four tap lines at my place. But doing a uh, built one is really very easy, um, I suppose, depending on the person. But you just, you know, it's, it's a matter of removing some hinges from the back of a chest freezer and building a two-by-four collar. And kind of setting that back on, and then getting an external ther- uh, external thermostat to regulate the temperature. Yeah. And that it isn't that difficult. But if you if you're just like no thanks, go out and find a already pre built kegerator that has the you know maybe it's got a tap tower probably up mm-hmm. front, or maybe you could even look on Craigslist and find and find one. You know, is that is that where you got yours? Uh, well, you recently, uh, recently I bought a refrigerator and just drilled holes. You in did the front. it, yeah, you yeah. did it. But I mean, you, you can go on to you know whether yeah. it's Facebook, whatever, yeah, and find, and yeah, probably. Um, so I've had this is my third kegerator. Mm. Um, I've burned through compressors on two freezers. What are you doing? I don't know. <laughs> uh, so like I have a super. So um. What we're talking about is, like, you, you have, like, a wooden collar that you mm-hmm. put. Uh, so, basically, you take the lid off. You add this, uh, you add this like, block of, or this collar of wood, um, and then you insulate the inside of it to try to help. And then I added weather stripping on both sides yep. to, like, create a seal. Um, and that's where you put your tap lines. Um, and I guess it's, it is hard, it is harder on a compressor. Uh, that's meant to just keep things frozen, because uh, you're shutting it, you're turning it off and shutting it 
or turning it off and on a lot more frequently sure. than you would be if you're mm-hmm. just keeping everything cold. Yeah. Um, and it also depends on the size of the freezer mm-hmm. and, and how much you have stored in it. As exactly. Because well. mm-hmm. like they want to be full. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do know that uh, if I remember correctly, if you're building a kegerator from because we're basically talking about building if you're going to build a kegerator you can build it from a refrigerator yep where you drill holes through the door or the side of it or whatever or you can build a kegerator from a chest freezer yep and if you use a chest freezer you have to add an another piece of equipment called an external thermostat and that you basically plug the chest freezer's power outlet into that and then you plug that into the that yeah. into the wall and it's like a bi- it's like a temperature bypass or th- a thermostat bypass yeah um and i do know on those if you're using if you're deciding to go that route with the chest freezer, there's ways that you can um, adjust the range of your external thermostat where it will turn on and off, and that can kind of help. Help preserve the life of the... Help, yep, preserve the life of the kegerator. The other quick tip, and we're probably getting a little ahead of ourselves, is when you are putting your thermostat, when that thermostat, put it in like a, like a buy like a half gallon or a gallon um, jug and put it in water. Make sure it's waterproof first. Most of them are. Most of them are, but okay. make sure. Okay. Uh, and if it's not, uh, hot glue. Yeah. Works really well. Like okay. if you if you uh, put like basically um, lay it down, put a bead of hot glue, and then flip it over and put in another bead. Okay. Um, and so like it adds a little, it, like it won't change as quickly then, mm-hmm. but it also completely waterproofs sure. it, so okay. you don't need yeah. to worry I, about it. Yeah, I've never had any issues with that with any. I external. had one that wasn't, yeah. and then and there's it other fried things. The thing. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's there's all sorts of solutions actually to that. Yep. You get a thermal well that you put the probe in that goes. Yeah, the water, yep. things. But anyway, um, um but yeah, yeah just adjust the settings of that external thermostat, and that might help save the compressor life a yes, little bit yeah um yeah no so I, I switched to a fridge because of the reason i kept having of things cutting off turning on mm-hmm. and uh compressors going out so i had one with two and then the fridge was super was honestly easy because i didn't need to do anything i took um the crisper drawer out and one of the shelves and mm-hmm. i just put the kegs in the bottom and then uh, i drilled holes into the butter container yeah uh yep. and that's where yep. my taps come out now Yep, and the big thing about drilling holes is make sure you're not drilling through any, you know, coolant. Yes. So yeah, that's why the sides are dangerous. Mm-hmm. The door is always okay because there's it's just straight foam. Yeah. There's no there's no components in the door, mm-hmm. so you can drill anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So the side, make sure you're not like if you hit a free online, you. It's broken now. Yeah, it's broken. Just put it on the street. Yep. Hopefully somebody there, will pick it up. Yeah, and get a new fridge. Yeah. The other thing that you need, obviously, to dispense beer are kegs, and you yep. know that's a uh, so ball lock or pin lock. Uh, I I actually don't necessarily have a preference. It's just a matter of I think most people prefer ball lock. That's what I also owned. Well, so pin lock doesn't have the blow off. Right? They don't. Yeah, yeah, they don't. They don't have. They the don't have the safety. Feature. So that's a little bit, especially if you're you accidentally overcarb, that can be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, ball lock and pin lock kegs are both remnants of the soda industry. And so, and now the kegging or the beer and industry, now the home craft brewing beer, industry yeah, uses the them a ton. Beer, yeah. um, you used to be able to find ball lock and, and pin lock kegs uh, used pretty cheap, but now they're pretty much the same price as, as new. As Not necessarily. Uh, you can get them for about 40 bucks, 40, okay. uh, 45 50 used okay. uh, if you watch um, some of the deals. Sure. Sure. Uh, if you're buying them from Northern Brewer or whatever, you're going to be buying them new. They yeah. don't really have any used anymore. And then you're paying them. 120 Yeah. 
when uh, I worked there, case. when I worked at, at Northern Brew about, it's probably five, six years ago at this point, we had either or, um, but I suppose they just sort of got out of the business of buying used right. kegs and now it's all new. Yeah. I have some kegs that still have like the Midwest supply sticker on yeah, them and stuff yeah. like. Yeah. So the, the, the kegs, you know, these kegs have essentially a, a, a hinged top that, that locks in place that you can open up, put your beer in, close it. It's sealed from any air, essentially from getting out and then you could pressurize it and dispense from that keg as well um yeah so we're kind of getting into equipment here mm-hmm. um so you have your kegs uh one thing when you're buying your kegs i suggest buying two like keg build uh or keg rebuild kits which mm-hmm. are basically just o-rings yep. just to have them on hand yep yep um and then a bunch of keg lube mm-hmm. yeah uh, it'll just make your life so much easier, mm-hmm. especially when you're trying to track down leaks and stuff. You yep. just slather everything in lube, and you're good to go. Yeah, and another way, another thing to have on hand um, is a bottle of f- something that foams, so you can spray when you when you get that beer in the keg and you start pressurizing it. Just spray everything to see, like, okay, if there's any leaks happening, I'm gonna find them now because it'll uh, it'll yep. foam and soapy dishwater is mm-hmm. the yep. best, um, or or slightly more concentrated star sand. I, I would oh, use okay. That too. Yeah, pour that in a, in a foam bottle and, yeah. and go you, from there. Yeah, you just like put it on the top, and it'll help you figure out where the leak is. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, is there really a difference with shanks? Like when we're so, uh, I guess before we get to that, um, so you have your keg, and that goes into um, was it four parts? It's your you have like the nipple, the mm-hmm. shank, mm-hmm. Um, and then the tap, mm-hmm. right? So three parts, mm-hmm. and then the tubing, and then the tubing, yeah. I don't. I think the only the only difference with the shank length is, which is is really how how wide you know deep the yeah. thing that it's going through is. Okay. I've never really known. Yeah. I, you know, I, yeah. And when the, I think they're all universal threaded too, so yeah, yeah, it doesn't really just... matter. Um, I think the big the most important thing with with kegging is tube length. You know, like the the tube length gets into your... a whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, if you are like, so uh, I guess when I started kegging, conventional wisdom was your tube length should be about ten feet. Okay. Like you should have like, and it should all be in the thing, and mm-hmm. or all all in the in the vessel. It should be ten cold feet. Mm-hmm. Now it's the shorter the better. Mm-hmm. And I'm not entirely sure why it changed, but yeah. when I was when I was helping people set up keg lines or, or you know kegerators and all the things, uh, there are base there essentially there are two different diameters of tubing that you can use as a home brewer or a brewer or a, a beer dispenser, I guess, and that's three sixteenths, which is really thin, and then the, and there's also a quarter inch tubing, and we we always taught people that if you're if you're basically if you're just having beer in a kegerator that's being dispensed out of faucet that's right there, you want to have about six feet of three six to six sixteenths tubing, and if you are if you're one of those people that have like a super fancy setup in your basement where your your beer lines are going to go further than six or ten feet, then you want to do quarter inch tubing, because the it's all about I mean it's just physics of how fast that liquid is going through the lines and okay how foamy or not foamy it's going to end up in your glass depending on that length well and temperature matters too like you need to Hugely. be able to keep that cold mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. if you have if your if your line is 
going out of a temperature-controlled environment, mm-hmm. you need to make sure it's wrapped mm-hmm. and maybe run a glycol run- yeah. line against it just yep. to keep it cold. Yeah, yeah, wrap it in something insulated. Yeah, we w- people would come in and say, my, my every time I pour a beer out of my out of my <clears throat> into my glass it's foamy and you know the first question we always asked was obviously what's your regulator set at should be at about 12 P- and, you know again we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here but should be about 12 psi the second question was how long are your beer lines and like the diameter if you know it yep. and the third one was is does your beer do those beer lines end up going outside of that cold environment because it's like even six inches or less of it goes from cold to warm to cold again. It's gonna foam your beer up. The so CO two wants to come out of the solution, uh, so and it, bad, and it and it does that it in wants, heat. Yeah, like, yep. yeah. It just yep. so that's that's where most of your foam is coming from. If you if you run into this issue where all of your beer is foamy, you're probably serving something warm or mm-hmm. too hot or mm-hmm. thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um. What else? Well, I, uh, I well, always... so uh, I guess faucets. Yeah. Do they do they matter? So like you have your stock faucets, mm-hmm. your stock aluminum mm-hmm. chromed mm-hmm. faucets, um, and then you get into the fancy faucets, mm-hmm. which are like the Perlex, mm-hmm. which are back sealing, mm-hmm. and you can get flow control. Yep. Yep. And I I actually I feel if if I had gone, I mean I I bought stainless just kind of standard faucets mm-hmm. when I when I started because I was essentially talked into it. I think that if you're building a keg system, one of the first upgrades that you should make would be switching from that standard chrome uh, plated whatever yep. to a stainless and maybe even consider the flow control perlic. I love my flow controls. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. great. Um, so flow controls, basically, they have a restrictor plate that you can adjust on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're have, especially if you if you're trying to serve two differently carbonated beers mm-hmm. uh, using the same serving pressure because uh, you only you have a regular that it can only push out one the flow mm-hmm. control helps a lot yeah but on that note too actually that reminds me is you know you so you have you have your kegs in your kegerator and then you have them hooked up to a, a source of co2 which is usually a five pound tank a five pound tank yep a have a backup of that have i don't a, have a backup <sighs> co2 tank and that's bit me in the ass multiple times. And, and B, consider getting a double regulator because then you can you can a be, maybe be carbonating a beer while you're pushing one, or you can um, have two different beers that are being pushed out at, mm-hmm. at two different pressures. Um, and there, there, it's that that isn't that much more like as far it as it really isn't, and, and yeah. just for that upgrade, yeah, for sure. I actually, I, and I, but I think more importantly, get get a second tank. Come on. It's don't shame me on my own podcast. What? <laughs> no, I mean that's what this podcast is. Yeah, I was looking me, at like... Casey directly in the eyes when I said that, but I meant as, as listeners. Yeah, it, it's helpful. There are there are so yeah. many like frantic customers that would come into the store and do you guys have CO two? I'm having a party in 45 minutes and I just realized I ran out of CO two. My favorite was I had this massive party planned. Um, I went and got a fresh CO2 tank. Like, my tank was only half gone. I went and got a fresh one. There was a leak in one of my kegs, and it drained the tank. Mm. And I went to check. Like, I went to pull a beer, and it was empty. So, I like, I started calling numbers in my phone. And finally, like, I hit Mike at Pitchfork, and he's like, oh, yeah, I got some CO2. Yeah. And he gave me this massive, like, 50-pound tank. Oh, yeah. Like, you needed, <laughs> you needed a dolly to... Hmm. 
like I could barely fit it in my car. Like <laughs> the other thing to think about is that if you're thinking about kegging and you're feeling pretty um, kind of intimidated by the whole thing, a lot of the homebrew shops that that are out there they have systems mm-hmm. that you can buy. So if you're yeah. not if you're not wanting if you're not comfortable with um, you piecing know, going it and piecing it together, they will they have. I mean, I'm, I was just looking at the Northern Brewer website. They have a, a um, it's a and honestly, you know, they're the most expensive one on there is $344. Honestly, like that's the way I would go. Yeah, um, for sure. because you literally have everything you need to mm-hmm. need out the gate and then you can swap stuff out. Yeah. So they'll come with like the the steel like chrome plated um or I, it's, it'll come the with faucets. the the, the yeah. chrome plated faucets mm-hmm. and stuff and you can swap those out as you figure out your system and kind of what you need. Yep. Um and you can even buy it the CO2 cylinders on there. Yep. Um it comes with a double reg. This one that I'm looking at, which is their most expensive, comes with a double regulator, yeah. so you can, you know, have that 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 option. So, you know, definitely look into that. And the only reason that I think you should ever really need to build your own keg system at this point, if you're whether you're shopping at More Beer, Northern Brewer, you know, Austin Brew Supplies, whatever, whatever yeah. you know, all these great places out there, is if you are, you know, like I said, you have like a really f- cool bar setup, which I dreamed of, where it's like I have my breweries over here in the basement, and we have a hood that goes out, and then. My bar's over here, but we got to run the keg lines through the wall. Right. And then we get into like cast then, rebreathers, and we're going to have a beer engine. Oh, it's going to be yeah, amazing. Which, like. yeah, yeah, jerks. <laughs> uh, so if you can, if, if you have that system set up, then you should probably consider going in or <clears throat> at least taking a little time to look at these these keg systems online to piece them together, but to make sure you get the, the correct diameter yeah. and length tubing for what you yeah need. well and like this equipment will essentially last forever if you take yeah. care of it like mm-hmm. and just yeah use yep. it like it'll be fine yep yep um yeah so definitely do that uh, i'm trying to think if there's anything else i wanted to say i don't think so i don't think so either i mean it's i feel like kegging is again it's so it's it's super easy um so it's balancing, easy once you get into I it guess, and that's probably where, where balance like, balancing the lines uh there's there's a lot of charts out there um to tell you like what psi to push your beer at mm-hmm. versus like the diameter and the length of your lines mm-hmm. and then what your volumes of co2 are yeah uh and so really look at those and kind of figure and just know your system yeah is the biggest advice that i can give you because if something's off you're going to be pouring straight foam mm-hmm. and nothing is like there's nothing better in the world than having beer on tap in your house no it's the greatest but it's very frustrating when it's foam when it's just foam you mm-hmm. get so mad mm-hmm. so quickly mm-hmm. and a little irrationally yeah <laughs> and again those are the, you know we always said those are one of three things it's it's line length but if you have that if, if so if that's like well that's never been an issue then it's probably there's some weird temperature thing happening or um the third one which i love oh pressure you know pressure uh, yeah yeah the, yeah, yeah, the is, pressure yeah. that you're pushing the other thing that i think uh as people that use or want to start using kegs make sure you have a way to clean your lines kind of set in place and do that um, yeah uh, so that makes a giant difference always your- have an extra keg that you can just fill with sani mm-hmm. um and then especially if you're switching from like a sour beer Mm-hmm. to a regular yeah uh if you really want to be smart just swap those lines like get rid of the line sour. Yeah. or just make that a sour line mm-hmm. uh but at the very least just run sanitizer through it yeah yeah i actually i was a little bit more vigilant about it 
Um, I think it was every second batch that I of beer I had on tap, I would um, fill that corny keg with hot water and like PBW, and then I would run. Actually, I think I even used maybe a, that they have they sell like line cleaner, mm-hmm. um, brewer brewer line cleaner at, at the homebrew shops, and that would make a huge difference. It, it I mean, if you, if you and if you're not wanting to clean your lines, you probably should consider swapping them out like once a year, well, once every six months. I mean, also like tubing's cheap. Like, yeah, it is. If you don't mm-hmm. want to clean your lines, like once a month, just swap your lines, mm-hmm. and it's gonna make such a difference. Um, but but to kind of put it into perspective, uh, brewer- breweries or or bars that serve beer that are really um, vigilant about their tap tap lines, they usually clean them every week or two. And so if you're a homebrew and you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I haven't poured a glass of beer from this tap in three weeks, that means it's just like old, gross beer is sitting yeah. in that tap tap line. For sure, dump the pint out. But dump just, the first just, pint. Just yeah. consider, you know, it isn't. Th- um, it's a little bit of extra step between between putting one beer on tap and 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 the other. But just clean your lines out. It's that's gonna make that's a another big thing difference. that we should really quick touch on. If you are, especially if you are carbon or. Uh, Natural carving in a keg instead of forced carving. That um that first pint or two are gonna be just pure yeasty mm-hmm. garbage. Yeah, I forgot and, about that. And uh, yeah, pour them. Yeah. Uh, just just know that you're gonna mm-hmm. you're gonna burn two pints yep. off the top. Yep. Yep. But the rest of it's gonna be delicious. Yep. Uh, they do make um kits that you can attach. Uh, basically, attaches to the dip tube and it floats on top, so you're only getting clear beer. Oh. Um, and so if you really want, if you don't want to waste those two pints, do that. Okay. That's new to me. I've never, never yeah, they're, it, they're fairly new, but yeah, it's uh it's basically just like a, it's like a stainless, uh, hollow ball that floats okay. with uh with a little dip tube yeah. on it. And it mm-hmm. Yeah. But in the, and, you know, the longer that you let your beer sit in that keg without jostling it, the, the more that, you know, those first couple pints are going to be really yeasty, but, the but then the rest of it's going to be crystal re- clear. Yeah, really like, brilliant. I mean, yeah. like this, uh, this yeah. October yeah. right here, which looks super good. I'm just happy with it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we have some listener mail. We should we probably do. get to, it's a, it's a good, it's a good one too. So, uh, this is going to be just a super long episode guys. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh, Tyler sent in. Uh, an email said, Hey guys, I'm getting married in a few months, and as part of my gifts to my groomsmen, I'm planning to make each of them a beer. Uh, just curious what you think of my recipes. Uh, so first of all, he's named all of them, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. Yep. That's that's the hardest thing to do with beer, is to name it. Um, but, especially as a homebrewer, I just always named them like, this is just ESB, be happy. Uh, so this first one is Challenge Accepted ESB. Uh, he usually uh, he says I usually keep my ESB recipes super simple, but experimenting with a little, uh, a little for some extra complexity. Uh, the grist on this is forty six percent Maris Otter, thirty two percent Golden Promise, and fifteen percent Victory, mm-hmm. um, and then seven percent uh, British Medium Crystal. I'm guessing that's Simpsons. Yeah. Um, and then hops. Uh, he's doing an ounce of Pearl at sixty, an ounce of Challenger at fifteen, and an ounce of Fuggle at five with thirty five IBUs. Um, and then fermenting with London ESB from Y yeast, which is 1968. Thoughts on this one? You know, I, I the first thing is is I, I like the the combination of that victory. Vic, when I was I, I don't use victory a lot anymore, but when I was uh, brewing at at Bobtown, that was my choice biscuit malt. Okay, there's just something about it that really stands out. And his his 
you know his ratio of 15% victory and then essentially half that of the of, of the crystal, crystal malt um i would avoid it would be like a crystal or a caramel 60 yeah c60 yeah i i think that those tend to oxidize tend to, a little bit tend to, right? yeah or at least for some reason perceive uh, perceived oxidation so um my favorite is uh victory malt with actually caramel 40 it's a really oh, good really? combination okay. for this this style of beer um i also maybe i mean you know i don't want you to change your malt bill up too much but maybe consider throwing in like a percentage or two of uh like a debittered black malt and that would give it a little bit more but that might bring it too dark for too a dark. bitter yeah right yeah maybe um, um i don't does know does he have the he doesn't have the srm or anything on here no so, no he doesn't yeah. um i like so my thought like with the maris and the golden promise I, I would almost switch the Golden Promise for like a crisp, okay, crisp pale, because mm-hmm. um, you're gonna get more of an English character out of that. So like Golden Promise, it's it's from Simpsons, which is like and it's very prominent or like predominant in like Scottish ales. Yeah, um, and so you get kind of that character. But I mean, it would work, I guess, mm-hmm. in an ESB. So. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see why. Um, Yeah, um, the the three different hops. I find that interesting. Yeah, I like those late late hop. Di- yeah, that that. In fact, you, you I don't know if you want to um, consider maybe even doing that that Fogel edition at closer to like a minute, just to get a little, yeah, little bit more character. Do in, that, from like, out of it. or maybe mm-hmm. like, um, I don't, I don't know, maybe right. like a hop stand with Fogel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or keep that one and add a little bit of an extra hop stand at the uh, end. Thoughts about dry hopping with an ESB. I've never. I mean, I'm. I'm very. I, I traditionally have, am, have been very. Um, you know, style focused when it comes to, and that's just not a thing that they necessarily. But they do hop the casks. That's true. Is that dry hopping? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if I if I were to dry hop a, a ESB, I would use a more floral, or like like an EKG. Yeah. Yeah, or yeah, something like that. Yeah. Unless you want to make it totally like, you know, I know that there's a bent paddle out of uh, Duluth, Minnesota. They have a t- essentially it's an ESB. Oh yeah, they're it, that the 14th they're, degree. Yeah, and 14th they, degree. They dry ESB. hop that with like Cascade or something like yeah. that. It's pretty wild. It's, it's a great it's, beer, but it's it's a really good beer, but it's not a special bit. No, no, it isn't. It's like their take on it. So yep. if you're wanting to keep this classic, um, yeah, probably no dry stick hop. Stick to. Or a very, a very late minute edition, if you're wanting to kind of make it a little bit more, you know, your own or Americanized. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, maybe swap that Challenger for some East Kent. Um, mm-hmm. I really like that's that. A great, and, yeah. That's a great hop, yeah, for sure. Um, yeast is perfect. Yep. Like London ESP yep. is great. Be careful with that. With and you know, you probably know this by now, Tyler, but be careful with the the temperatures on that. Once that that yeast decides to be done whether it is or not, it will drop to the bottom. So make sure that, you know, about a day and a half into active fermentation or, or right right when it's starting to get active, if you can, increase the temperature of that yeast so it doesn't just, like, clunk to the bottom. Yeah, so it, it actually finishes out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, that that yeast is a cake. If you, if you, it's pretty wild. <laughs> it's like, it's not moving. It's all stuck together. So uh, get that yeast back up into suspension somehow uh, about, 18 to 24 hours at the very latest or no i'm sorry eight um 36 to 48 hours into fermentation get that get that yeast browse so it'll stay up okay thing 
All right. Uh, the second beer is Have You Met Brian, uh, which is a Kolsch. I have met Brian. <laughs> is it the same Brian? Probably we don't know. Yeah. Well, maybe. Uh, so grist on this uh, for a Kolsch is 64% Pilsner, 16% Turo, 10% Vienna, uh, and then 10% uh, Karahel. Mm-hmm. I'm... I'm... Not questioning, but the the Vienna, is that true to style or is he? I don't know. I think I think you might be riffing a little bit. Okay. Um, okay. I like the idea of the Carahel to give it a little bit extra body. Yeah. Those Kolsch's are pretty. Uh yeah. So the Vienna, what's that gonna add to the beer? That's gonna be a more of a like a smooth rounded maltiness in okay. my opinion. Some toastiness maybe. That doesn't sound bad in a Kolsch. No. Um, I don't think so at all. I, I I don't know if that's a. I'm I'm actually gonna look at the BJCP. Oh, guidelines. Guidelines on, uh, to see if Kolsch. that's a, a a common ingredient. And I'm you know not, don't take it out if it if it isn't. But yeah. Now it's being. Um. All right. So while you're looking that up, uh, I'll dive into the hops here. Um, a hop that I really haven't heard of. Uh, Santium. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's doing an ounce of Santium at sixty minutes and an ounce of German tradition at flame out. Uh, for 28 IBUs, um, and then fermenting with WLP uh, 029, uh, German ale or Kolsch's. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, pretty pretty simple on the hops and the yeast. I don't really have any comments there. Like you want, that's kind of how you want to hop a Kolsch. Very yep. traditional. Very. Yeah, uh, I would say historically when I've tried to brew Kolsch's, um, you need to be patient with that yeast. So you had make, a, if you're if you're gonna be brewing these beers, um, maybe start with that one so it, it gives the yeast a little bit of extra time, and then obviously ferment it a little cooler. You had a Kolsch at Bobtown, right? No, no, okay. No, I actually when I was sort of started developing recipes for Bobtown, I wanted to have a Kolsch. Okay, but I could. It was just the 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 process of brewing a Kolsch and getting it correctly consistently. I just I got too frustrated with it, so I actually had a cream ale. Oh, that's what it was—a cream yeah. ale. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. The the so Kolsch's are are considered hybrid styles. They are um, they're kind of a cross between an ale and a lager. Uh, another hybrid style would be an, a German alt beer. Yeah, or steam beer too. Yeah, steam beer, uh, Calif- or California Common, I guess, is what the yeah the is what the new yeah. commercial name is for it. But uh, and they're supposed to be um, fermented at. A little bit warmer temperatures, kind of somewhere in between that that lager temperature of about 52, 54 degrees, and ale temperatures, which is say 67. Um, but the yeast, the yeast is it can be a bit finicky, and you know you got to make sure you get it's it's great for a cold, cooler, you know, yeah, winter basement. But um, it just got to for me, it got to the point where I was like, nope, I'm gonna I'm gonna move yeah. on to something else that's light. So that was cream ale for for Bobtown. All right, uh, and then beer number four here is Archduke of Grand Fenwick, which is a British slash German ale. Uh, Tyler says it doesn't really fit any style that he can think of. Uh, Grist is 50% Maris Otter, 29% Vienna, 14% Munich, and 7% Crystal 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, that beer's kind of all over the place. Yeah, I, I, speaking of German alt beers, it almost fits in that category, yeah. except it isn't going to be caramely and dark enough in the body so yeah it's super close to the yeah. alt um yeah. but like yeah the maris otter definitely puts it in that british category mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um german magnum malt um hops i've never used them actually at just 20 minutes but they that is my go-to standard bittering edition 
So that's that's gonna be a nice clean. Yeah, and then beer. just a uh, an ounce of holler tau. Nice. At, yeah. At, uh, basically, mm-hmm. a flame out at five minutes. Yep. Yep. Uh, that I mean, that sounds like I would drink this beer. Yeah, it sounds, that sounds great. really good. Uh, WLP O two nine. Uh, German mm-hmm. ale yeast, same as the Kolsch. Yep. Same as the Kolsch. Mm-hmm. Probably fermented a little, a little warmer okay. to get some more of that uh, yeast character. Yep, I would think because uh, the Kolsch, you you want to kind of kill that in something like this. I feel like that yeast character could add mm-hmm. a little bit of those fruit notes. Um, yeah, could be fun. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, then the real New Yorker IPA. Mm-hmm. I I mean I I wanna I kind of want to meet the groomsman that this is named after like. <laughs> Just like I want to know how New York he is. Yeah. Uh, but so seventy percent two row, uh, ten percent uh-huh. crystal twenty. Yep. Ten percent uh, white wheat, and then ten percent spelt. What is is so is crystal twenty the same? Is that a twenty L or is that uh, yeah twenty Lava bonds. Yeah. yeah okay. So C twenty. So crystal caramel. Yeah. Twenty. Yeah. I know that there's some some of the like if you buy those in the it's the Lava bond scale versus the. Uh, whatever the heck yeah the other one they're different anyway i should know this but i don't yeah well i mean it doesn't matter like you just you know the malts yeah i like the idea of the the white wheat and the spelt to kind of give it a little extra body uh crystal 20 is very old school i kind of like that it's Mm -hmm. um it's very like east coast ipa yeah Yeah. um so looking at the hop bill on this because we've been talking about ipa so much Mm -hmm. i really kind of focused in on this uh, half an ounce of Warrior at 60. Mm-hmm. Half an ounce of Warrior at five minutes. Um, a lot of Bunches, late addition, yep. which is really good. Uh, two ounces of Citra at Flame Out. Two ounces of Tenniel at Flame Out. Two ounces of Columbus at Flame Out. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of hops at Flame Out. It is. It is. Um, I would almost have mm-hmm. all of those. Yeah, I think at that point, if you put too too many hops in this beer, you're going to end up getting like grat. Grassy, grassy vegetal flavors especially at those at those heats and if yeah. you if you're able to instead of doing a flame out um do a hop stand yeah drop it down to 190 185 yeah or or take half those hops at flame out and then save the other ounce that you're going to use and, and dry do hop. a dry hop well solution. and that, that was that was the other thing i wanted to yeah. talk about there's no dry hop in this mm-hmm. i f- really feel like this beer could like a dry hop would be awesome mm-hmm. i think actually what he should do is keep the two ounces of Columbus at flame out, and then save and dry hop with the citron, or maybe Centennial. maybe you know uh, two ounces of Columbus, one ounce of Centennial at flame out, and then take the citra and the other ounce of Centennial, or you know vice versa, and dry hop with those. And I mean we're we're this is a week early, but if you can do an ounce of that citra like early like four or five days in fermentation at high croissant, mm-hmm. um, and get that biotransform, I think mm-hmm. that would be really good. I think. I think Honestly, I think that whether you're a home brewer or brewing professionally, brewing or dry hopping at at five day day five of fermentation is standard, just the best. Yeah. And then you can you know let that that beer sit for another five five to nine days, and then get it up, get those hops out of there, and, and it's just it's I think it's just for consistency and and um, getting those hop flavors that you need. Yeah. I've never I've never dry hopped with. I don't think I've ever dry hopped with Columbus. That's always been an yeah, early edition hop for me. So, um, I'm 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 Citra. I like it's got a good, you know that's obviously that Citra, but it's got a, a bit of dankiness to it, which mm-hmm. is a great hop for a an, for an IPA. Centennial, of course, is that floral, you know, a little bit of fruitiness, but it's kind of soft, subtle flowers. Yeah. 
but Columbus, I'm I'm not. I don't. I guess I don't really know the characteristics of those. Um, uh, Chinook would be a good one that you could use if you're concerned about. Unless you know Tyler, unless you know a lot about what Columbus does at flame out or dry hopping, consider maybe switching that out to um, to a, a, a Chinook if you want something a little more bright, fruity, citrusy, or a Simcoe if you want something a little more piney and danky in that beer. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to look up Columbus right now to see if we can get an idea on what it'll do. I don't. I don't. Know. Uh, I guess it. They compare it to Tomahawk, but yeah, the the CTZ. Those CTZ, are, those are yep. always sort of um, Columbus Tomahawk and Zeus. Mm-hmm. Those were always sort of uh, commercial, like you know, sold yeah, herbal lemon citrus. Yeah. All right, um, and then he's fermenting with uh, my personal favorite yeast, 1056 from mm-hmm. Y Yeast American mm-hmm. Ale. Yep, it's uh, a great one. Yep, it's, I mean, it's a classic, so I, I don't have anything to say there, except, I mean, I guess, oh, well, and it seems like he's going for classic East Coast IPA, so you wouldn't want to use, well, like, a Kvike or, and maybe not not a ton of dry hopping. Using, are you, you meaning West Coast? East Coast. East Coast, yeah. Well, then he could maybe do, a like, an East Coast IPA strain. Yeah, instead of that, you that do American. some. Yeah, so the East Coast I, IPA it leans more towards like the English style mm-hmm, IPA, mm-hmm. so you get a little bit more yeast character. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Why or, yeast, or or use a um, like a Conan or something like that. Just the classic dry bitter. I think it's double. I know that uh, White Labs it's double o seven. Okay, I can't remember what the what the 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 Y yeast equivalent is to that, but. Um, that's that if you want it to be a little bit more English, but again, you'll, you're gonna suffer the same issues that you will with that London ESB. And yeah, you got to make sure. Will, yeah, it, if you don't, if you don't monitor that temperature and hit that diacetyl rest, the second it happens, you're <laughs> totally screwed. All right, uh, and then the last one here. Uh, this one hits a little close to home. Uh, so as a surprise for my future wife, I'm going to attempt to uh, to clone one of her favorite beers when she lived in Minneapolis, Fulton's Lonely Blonde. Uh, calling it not so lonely blonde. Oh. Uh, right. Uh, just it just adorability. So is adorable. Just like, <laughs> uh, so sixty three percent pilsner, twelve and a half percent white wheat, twelve and a half percent spelt, and then twelve and a half percent crystal ten for the grist. Um, and then hops we're looking at half an ounce of Santium at sixty, half an ounce of Tradition at ten. Um, half an ounce of Santium at flame out and half an ounce of tradition at flame out for 28 IBUs. I don't think Lonely Blonde is dry hopped at all, so I think you're good there. Um, yeah, lonely, so Lonely Blonde is a, it's considered a, let me pull this website up again really quickly. It's considered an American Blonde Ale, um, and it's uh, a Blonde Ale wears a delicate fragrance of German noble hops and a touch of white wheat. An American pale and crystal crystal malts for a smooth, sensuous body. Yeah, so maybe the swap the Pilsner for uh, two row. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that might be that might give it a little bit more of a um, an American spin on yep, it. Yep. Um, and if you're doing the Pilsner, uh, do the ninety minute boil. For sure. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. do um, of that Pilsner malt. Maybe do fifty fifty. That might that. Might oh, be oh good. yeah. Do or, fifty pills. Thirty you percent know, Pilsner. Seventy percent two row. Just of that addition. Yeah. Um. I I really like the. I have you know. Lonely Blonde is one of those that, um. I was gonna say growing up, but. Um, well, I mean, drinking craft drinking beer up. in this area of the world, Fulton is is a is one of the, was one of the the, 
first kind of one of the early pioneers yeah so. of, of brewing you know uh, we, we had in the area we had summit which has kind of been around forever yeah, and Summit's ever. fantastic they don't get and enough then, love yeah and then surly popped up and they did their whole thing with their super great branding and their clean aggressive gr- aggressively hot beers and then fulton sort of showed up and on on the scene and they had um what was the vine one uh Sweet Child of Vine. Sweet, Schwa- Sweet Child of Vine, and then they had this Lonely Blonde beer. And this one actually has won um, G- GABF. I think it won gold, or gold a few years back uh, for this beer. But it's just a good one of those, like, you just kind of go, go-to go beers that's that's good. So as far as um, I think what the amount of times I've drank this beer and what uh, Tyler has for this recipe, it's pretty it's pretty spot on. It's kind of an – it's sort of like a mashup of an English and American-style blonde ale. Um, yeah, yeah. The only thing I would do is add some two row. Yep, yep. Not not all that pilter. Yep. yep, for sure. Yeah, just give it that little bit of American complexity and and maybe consider doing. You know, we we I don't want to poo poo ten fifty six as far as a, a yeast because it's yeah. Great, how but, dare you? But um, I feel like Lonely Blonde finishes a little less attenuative than maybe an American ale yeast would would give it. But the other thing you could do is call up Fulton and say, hey, I want to make this beer for my future wife. What kind of yeast do you And use? they absolutely would tell you. And they you. would probably tell you, yeah, for sure. So give that a try if you really want to get it as close to possible. You know, they might even give you the recipe. Who knows? Right. Uh, all right. So us, also, after all, the, uh, all this is done, I'm thinking of attempting to come up with a Czech dark lager recipe. Any thoughts on that? Uh, just quickly, uh, if we were going to come up with a grist for a Czech lager dark uh so immediately as soon as you say anything dark um any debittered carafa like a carafa three to add that mm-hmm. the like to darken it um you you want to use pilsner malt mm-hmm. uh, also in the it, it talks about some dark caramel malts too so maybe a, a you know deciding i always feel like with if you're using roasted malts whether it well Actually, let me go back. Caramel malts and, and biscuit malts, you kind of you kind of want to find a balance between those depending on your style. And this beer would also be appropriate. Do you want it to be really roasty or would you prefer it to be a, <coughs> excuse me, a little more caramely? Um, but keeping those roasted malts debittered is going to help keep that lager kind of smooth, yeah. you know, for sure. Also, you could use a Vienna or a Munich malt. Um if you want, instead of using that pilsner, or maybe add it into. Oh yeah, yeah. That. Do something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mess with that mm-hmm. with that base malt. Yeah. Quite a bit. And I would say, I th- you know, a dark, a Czech dark lager is is a style that I'm not. I don't have a lot of familiar familiarity with. Um, but using European, classic European hops is probably going to be your best. So the uh, the dark lager that you guys had at Hop. I guess that might have been before that your was time. A, yeah. No, I was. That oh, was okay. a sort. I mean, I, I well, I actually started on their opening day, sort of. So okay, I wasn't. Uh, yeah, Saint, wasn't the Saint sure. Black. Yep. I don't know if they considered that a dark check or if it was just a dark. I a think black it was just lager. a black lager. Yeah. 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 Which so is, what was you know, kind of the malt bill on that? Do you remember? Um, you know, give me a sec. I could. I could <laughs> All right. So while you're doing that, I'm going to finish his email. Or uh, yeah, no. So uh, he says, "Have a good one, and remember, no banana." 
And wow. that's a callback to uh, some earlier stuff, which you guys know. And I have some exciting news that I, I have to wait another week to talk about, about No Banana, but we're, we're going to get there, guys. All right, so the, so the Black Lager, um, it was considered a Schwartz beer. Oh, Schwartz, so okay. German, I mean, you know, it's kind of... I'm going to make a German but that, lager, but it's black. It, it, its base malt was Munich. Um, it had a debittered black, black or carafa. Okay. Uh, there was some Cara Munich in there, so it had, did, definitely had some caramel, uh, some caramel-like car- caramel malt into it, and then there was aromatic and Pilsner German dark malt, which I have I'm not familiar with. All right, a good amount of it. Well, we are pushing uh, one of our longest times for homebrew. I don't round. believe it. Uh, it's only 56 minutes. We're fine. Okay. All right. <laughs> so should we should we get out of here? Probably. All right, guys. Uh, well, Tyler, first of all, I hope we answered your question. I hope we gave you some constructive feedback on your on your beers. They all honestly were great, and we we're kind of stretching on some of them, looking for something yeah, to talk about. Yeah, exactly. Like you did a really good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, if you have any questions, comments, show ideas, we're happy to go ahead and shoot us an email at feedback at You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Ninja. And I'll see you guys next week. Good night. <laughs>